I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 15 and 10. I want to speak for just a few minutes today. I know everyone's kind of like, you're like, people came in, like, where do I sit? It's not the norm. Everyone's getting used to it. People came and said, am I allowed to touch the doorknob? Yes, touch the doorknob. It's like the munchkins in munchkin land when Dorothy comes and they're all kind of like stepping out, like unsure what to do, where to go. When we moved to our new home and in our old home, we live like a block from the JC, lots of foot traffic. So our kids weren't allowed to play in the front. They weren't even allowed to go out the front door. We moved to our new home. We live in a cul-de-sac. We said, you can go out, you can play. And they literally took like three steps and would look back at us and we'd be like, go, go, go. And they take five more steps and look back. We're like, it's okay, go. And I want you to know this is your house. This is your house, amen, and, and we want you just to, to own it and enjoy it. We built this so we could come together and worship the risen Savior, amen. Here we got our scriptures, Luke chapter 15 and 10. It says this, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus is going to tell, put a context to this, this statement, this bold heaven statement, and he's going to say, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, the Bible says, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, I love that. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to your word. Let your living word teach and minister the written word today. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, in this, this Kairos moment, in this church's life and in the county's life, for us to be able to declare your goodness, the hope that is in Jesus Christ, and the church say amen. amen. All righty. All righty. So what is a home? What is a home? I know there's many people here in our family. We had 19 families in our church community who lost their homes in the fires. And we're not going to stop talking about that. We're not going to stop supporting and praying and helping and stepping in. And you, church, have been amazing. You, church, have been amazing. And not with just money, but finances and resources and coming together. And I'm proud of our city, too, who has stepped up in a huge way and just seeing everything come together. But the question that kept coming to my mind is, what makes a home? Because we know a house doesn't make a home necessarily. I've been in houses that didn't feel like home. 
And there's a difference between a house and a home. And my prayer today is that at some point, this house will feel like home to you. We want this to be home. You feel like this is, this is, this is it. You, just, you can put your feet on the coffee table. You can go right to the fridge and open it up and get whatever you want. There may be some rotted cheese, but you can have it. It's all yours, whatever's in there. This gotta, it's got to feel, like, feel like home. But home is not a building. It's not brick and mortar. A home is the relationships that exist within that space and that place. In fact, you go back to Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of the Bible, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that Adam had everything in his house. He had all the food he needed. He had everything, every comfort God had designed. He said, here's the garden, Adam. It's all yours. But there was one thing lacking in that space. It was relationship. And God looks down, and for the first time, God says, it's not good. In Genesis chapter 1, he goes, it's good, it's good, it's good. He makes animals. He's like, it's good, light, it's good. Everything's just good, good, good. And then he looks at Adam because Adam is in the image of God and God is relational. And Adam goes, it's incomplete. This doesn't feel like home. And what makes home is relationship. And when we look at this prodigal son who stepped away from home, what he was really doing was stepping away from relationship. Not just relationship with his father, but relationship with his family. And here's the cool thing, is we don't just have a heavenly father, a spiritual father. We have a spiritual family that God has brought us to be a part of. Is that pretty cool? Look around. These are your, these are your brothers and sisters and cousins, and you got to claim them all, like all, all of us, right? You can't, you can't pick, right? You, we've all been to family reunions, and, and we all have that crazy uncle, Right? And if you don't have one of those, that means you are the crazy uncle in the family, okay? If you can't think of who that is. But it's a family. It's a spiritual family. And that's what, that's what the church is. It's not a building. It's not brick and mortar. It is a family. And so we're a part. And some people say, well, I, I love God. I just don't, don't want to be a part of a spiritual family. I don't want to be a part of a church. That, that's, that's like saying, hey, I love you. You know, someone comes up to me and says, hey, Chad, I love you, but I hate your family. Your family just bothers me. We're going to have a problem being good friends, right? <laughs> right? If I came up to Heidi and said, hey, babe, I love you, because the Bible says that Christ is the head and, and the church is the body, right? If I was like, hey, babe, I love your face, right? I, I love your face. And you know where the rest of that goes. That would not be good. <laughs> Punch to the jaw, I'm out for a week. Wake me up later, Right? And so, so you, you don't, the home is more than just, hey, I, I want to have a relationship with God. It's like God puts us into these relationships, a family together. And, and, and one of the things that we never, ever, ever, ever want to lose or we're not going to lose is we want to stay connected together. This is not an event. A church is not an event. It's not a program. It's, these, it's all these connections that God has put together, this connection this way and then this connection this way. And all of this is just zinging today. I see faces and smiles and hugs and high fives and fist bumps. And if you're not used to that, you've you got to get used to it because this is just a loving church that just loves to. Again, if you're like, hey, I don't want to do that, just get used to the fist bump. Fist bump is the default if you don't want to be a hug or a high-fiver, all right? That's just how it works around here. Because this is a home, not just a house. This is a home, not just a house. We love you. You're part of our family. We believe in you. You're God's child. Amen. So we love being a part of the family. So this is, this is exactly what the prodigal steps away from. This is what Adam and Eve step away from. When they lost their home, they lost their, they lost their house, they lost their home. When they left the garden, they were actually leaving a relationship with God. And that brokenness this way suffered in every other area. Their children, Cain and Abel, it suffered here because it was suffering here. 
And so when you lose your, your house, many times you lose your home, and, and, and we can't do that. We've got to fight for the home. We've got to fight for those relationships that exist within the house. And this is exactly what the prodigal stepped away from. He thought it would be better. The grass is greener on the other side. He said, I'm going to take what's mine. I want to go. And what we find is he steps into a system in a far country, and all that system does is deplete, 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 and take away. And as you step away from godly spiritual relationships, what you're going to find in your life is you're going to find you're going to be depleted spiritually. You're not going to feel connected. You're going to lose your purpose. And this guy finds himself at the bottom. He finds himself in the pigsty, feeding pigs going, I could eat that right now. <laughs> like how, that, that's, All of us say that would never happen. But spiritually, we've got there before. You get to the bottom and you go, this will be my sustenance. I'll live off the garbage. And this is what sin does, and this is what walking away from a relationship with God and a relationship with his children does, is it gets us to the bottom, and we become bottom feeders. And that was never God's call for us, because we're not servants, we're not slaves, we're his children. And this is what the prodigal had to remember within himself, is I'm a child of God. I'm a, chi I'm a child of the Father. This is, but you know what? I don't deserve that. He started thinking, like, I don't deserve that. And this, there was this change that took place in him, and it was pretty remarkable, because I think when you hit the bottom is like, that's where the awareness, the self-awareness happens. You're like, you've hit the bottom, and, and all of a sudden, the Bible says he came to himself, which means all that action of walking away, walking away, and it's easy to do. People have done it. Maybe you've done it before. It's like, it's like going into a parking lot. I have parking lot anxiety. Does anybody have parking lot anxiety around here? You get into a parking lot, you're like, I'm going to get a close spot, right? We, we call it favor ain't fair, right? I'm like, Lord, favor ain't fair. Just give me one right up front. And then you've got the people who are super slow in the parking lot. And you've got the super fast people, right? And it's just like, and, and then you see the people who have the big tr muscle trucks, right? And they're parking like in three spots. And you hate them, but you want to be them. You're like, I love that truck. But anyways, <laughs> the parking lot situation is always interesting. And it depends where you're parking, especially Costco. Costco in Santa Rosa. Is that, does that like test your faith? Does that build character? Does anybody build, is patience being built in anybody's spirit whenever you go to Costco? If I'm not even sure of my spiritual aptitude, I just go to Costco. I'm just going to go to Costco and try to park. That'll be how I know how I'm doing spiritually. <laughs> the other day, I was, I was in a parking lot, and I was parking, and here's what I noticed. I noticed a car pulled, and he basically kind of, he didn't quite straddle the line, but he was pretty close to straddling the line. So I, the only parking spot was next to him and then this other one. And so I, I, to avoid hitting him, I had to kind of straddle the line. And what I found was, when I got back a couple hours later, like, his bad parking had affected all, like, by the time, like, 12 cars down, like, these people weren't even in a spot anymore. The whole thing was blown off by one person who got out of line a little bit. And this is how it works sometimes. We get out of line. Just that one little tweak. We tweak our lives. We, we, we don't find God's favor in something. And all of a sudden, we, we tweak. And all of a sudden, the, there's a ripple effect. Because when you make one bad decision, you'll realize it's easy to make another bad decision, and then another bad decision. But you'll also find whenever you make the right decision, it'll also be easy, easier to make the next right decision. And what the prodigal has done is he started stepping away little by little. And this is why we have to have the spirit of David, because it was David who said, you know what? The lion and the bear, they want to take the little sheep. But here's what David understood about his adversary. If I give a little bit up today... They'll just come back tomorrow. This is my father's sheep. If I give a little bit up, and that's the, that's the temptation. You know what? I don't want to fight the bear and the lion. I would just rather just give one of the sheep away. But David knew enough about himself and his adversary to go, if I give up one today, 
that bear's going to get hungry again. And then I'll have to make another deal with the bear. And I don't want to do that. And that's what happens. Slowly but surely, we start walking away from the things that are most precious and most valuable. And the most valuable thing in the kingdom of God is a relationship with our Heavenly Father and a relationship with His children. We've got to fight for that. We've got to stay on top of that. We've got to guard our hearts because we've got to lean into that because God did not just call us into a house. He called us into a home. And so there's something, there's a there's a there's something inside of the prodigal who's going, you know, I gotta get home. I gotta get home. I gotta get home. Has anybody ever felt that before? Like that, that little beacon inside of you? Gotta get home, gotta get home. Three hands. Thank you for being honest today. Anybody else? Anybody we got more hands. Thank you very much. Second try. More hands where you're just like, I gotta get home. I just I don't belong here. This isn't working. Living outside of God's relationship and the relationship with his children is not working. And so he says within himself, this is what he said. I will go to my father and I will repent. I will, I will change my way. I will, I will go back. And here's what he said. He said, I will say, make me a servant. Now, look at the language. When he left the father's house, he was saying, give me my inheritance. And now he's going back saying, make me. Something shifted inside of him from a give me to a make me. Just make me. Make me whatever you want me to be. And this is the shift that is so critical for our spiritual rebound and the spiritual awakening. When we stop demanding things on our terms, we say, God, whatever you want for my life, I just got to get home. I just got to get home. A couple days ago, 12 days ago, 13 days ago, was the, the 500th anniversary of the 95 thesis that was nailed to the church in uh, Wittenberg, Germany. Some of you probably saw some of that that was online. People were celebrating it. We were going to actually kind of discuss it in one of our services, but we were, we just the services were a little bit different because we were moving. So I want to bring it up today because one of the things that's important to understand about this 95 thesis was this young monk named Martin Luther who was just being disturbed by all of the things that were happening. The year before, he got a hold of a, a Greek Bible that Erasmus had put together. This guy named Erasmus had put together the Greek New Testament, and so he finally got his hands on it. He started reading through it voraciously, and here's what he found. He found that the Vulgate had mistranslated the word repentance, and the, the word that the Vulgate was using was, uh, it was, it was uh, atage, uh, uh, pentage. So it was a word that said, go do penance, and he reads it in the Greek, and it was metanoia. Metanoia is a totally different idea than going and doing penance. Going to repentance says you've done wrong, so you need to go own that and earn that back. You need to go, you need to go do something really tough. Go give some money. Go, go do it. And he goes, this is not what the word in the scripture is saying. It's saying that whenever we repent, whenever we make a metanoia, a change of direction, a change of our mind, that is what repentance is. Because the scripture says when we repent, at that moment, righteousness is imputed on the heart of man. I don't have to earn it. I don't deserve it. And this is what the prodigal tried to do in his own mind. He's like, I'll, you know what? I'll become a servant. I'll go and I'll earn my keep. I'll get back to the house and earn my keep. And what we discover is the father's like, that's not how it works. That's not how it will ever work. You will never be able to earn your keep here because you're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're a son. And that's the difference. I have some scriptures for you really quickly. I want to point out, and I, and I love the, these scriptures, they're, 
they're, they're pretty potent here. It says this. It says in Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah chapter 30 and 15, it says, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. We'll do it ourselves. We'll earn it. We'll fight ourselves. The Lord says, don't do that. Just repent and get your heart back to me, and I'll take care of everything. But you're saying, we'll jump on horses. We'll fight ourselves. We'll do it on our own strength. But you'll have none of it. You said, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off in swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. You'll never be able to outrun your problem. You'll never be able to, when the chase happens, you'll never be able to be faster than the issue that you're facing. He says the only answer is to repent, which means turn your heart back to the house. Turn your heart back to a relationship with God. That's the only answer. That's the only remedy. That's the only consolation you have is if you will rest in the repentance of turning your face back home to God. That's it. He says he waits for all to repent. 2 Peter chapter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understood slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repent. He wants everyone's heart to repent. How far do you have to go? How bad does it have to get before you turn your heart back to God? Now, here's, here's, the, big, here's the big case today. We don't have time to go through it, but I do have the scripture, and, and I'm going to just say it out loud so you can write it down or hear it on the podcast. Deuteronomy 21, 16 through 21. In the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the law, it has, there's, there's two ideas that are coupled together. One is how an inheritance is to be divided, that the younger can never get more than the older. The second part was, he goes into, secondly, right after this, he goes into a stubborn son. What happens to a stubborn son? If you have a stubborn son in the Old Testament, the Bible says you drag him to the gates, and basically the council of the city stones him to death. Now, that's pretty tough, isn't it? That's like, okay, I don't want to do bad. I want to be all right. Dad, we're, are we good? You know what I mean? Like, stubborn son, drag him to the gates. They're like, has he been bad? You know, that, that, you're like, this is pretty heavy. So this gives us context of Luke chapter 15. That if the prodigal would have gone home, he would have had to pass through the gates of the city. And by law, he would have had to be stoned by the elders of the city. That's why when the father sees him far off, he goes running. That's why when the boy, he smells like a pig, he even looks like a pig, he's got a little pig hangover, and the father says, bring the robe and bring the ring and bring the shoes, because when I walk him through the gates, he will not come back as a stubborn son, as a rebellious son. I am restoring him on his way back, so when he comes home, he's not a slave, 
He's not one who has done wrong. He is a son. And this tells us today that anyone who comes to this house, they are not a slave. They are sons. Sons come home. Sons come into the presence of God. Sons run back to the Father. Sons are going to be filling this house. Daughters of the Most High. That's what this house is about. And when they're on their way, and I'm telling you, they're on their way. There's this beacon inside of them waking up going, I got to find a relationship. I got to find God. I don't know where to go. They're There's a righteousness being imputed because their heart and mind is changing directions. And God says, that's what I'm looking for. When they come in, yes, they've done wrong. Yes, the prodigal did so many things wrong and bad. And we could just, we could probably fill another couple chapters of all the things that he did. But the father says this, give him my robe. I want him to look like me. Give him my ring. I want to I give him the, the, the house credit card. This is, this is the ability to, to signet. It identifies him with us. He can go into the market and say, yeah, put it on my dad's account. Give him the shoes. Clean shoes. This is going to cover where he's been and what he's done. There will be no evidence on those shoes that he was far away. He's been in town. He's been with me. It was as if he never left. That's the restoration power of our God. And that's why there's a home. And that's why we got to keep meeting together and keep praying together. Because people far from God are coming into a house where there's love. And the Bible says this, that when they came, there was celebration in the house. One sinner repents. One person far from God doesn't know the protocol, doesn't know how it all works. It just saying, make me a servant, make, make me whatever. Just do whatever you got to do. I'll earn my keep. No, no, no. Dude, you can't earn your keep. You're not going to come here and somehow get on a list where you have to do penance for so long before you feel like you belong. You belong the moment you turned your head toward God and started walking toward home. I'm so thankful in God's mercy. I'm so thankful that this is a house of mercy. I'm so thankful. You know, let me just tell you, the, the best price is free 99. F-R-E-E 99. And that's what grace is. It's totally free. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. And we all stand here every week going, God, only you could do this. Only you. This is a, this is a work of grace. I'm so thrilled for the amazing grace. This is a house of grace. This is a house of love. This is a house of honoring and serving our community and saying, you know what? You're not, you're not what the world has defined you as, the stigmas that has been put on you. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. Amen? Would you stand with me?